You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Hey, everybody. I am back in Seattle. I am in the office in the podcast booth with Nancy Hartunian, the producer of the Savage Lovecast. We At let... first I was afraid. <laughs> I was petrified. Thinking I would never... I can't even remember the word. This is how sort of upset and distraught I am. This is I can't your remember anthem. the words to I will survive. We will survive. We will survive. And we will be there for you at this time. Nancy and I are here at an otherwise pretty much deserted office to record this week's Savage Lovecast and to get it out to people who are home, hopefully, if they're doing the right thing, if you're social distancing, as they say, or physically distancing yourself from others and being responsible and helping to flatten the curve. I'm going to flatten your curve. (laughs) Or enjoy the curves of the people that you're (laughs) holed up with. That is safe. We talk about that later on the show. Uh, we wanted to to get a show out to you this week and every week. We are going to keep them coming. We're so psyched to be here for you. Podcasting is like this uh, kind of uh, now more elevated medium, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I've been relying on podcasts a lot myself this last week. I, I was traveling. I was out of town. Uh, managed to fly home on empty planes and get through airports before the Trump administration blew up the airports. I didn't get trapped in one of those Epic Lines, and we're coming to you live from Seattle, Washington, American Epicenter. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird here, you guys. If you're not in Seattle, I'll tell you it's really weird. But the track of this virus is however weird it is someplace else, that's how weird it's going to get where you are. That has sort of been the the arc of this uh, epidemic, now pandemic. And while things are super weird here in Seattle and King County and everything is closing down in Washington State, there's plenty of food in the grocery stores. A lot of restaurants are open for takeout and some are doing uh, delivery services. People are checking in with their neighbors here uh, just to make sure that everybody has what they need. Um, and there is a kind of camaraderie and the, the stress and pressure uh, and direness of the situation that is emerging. And that is hopeful to see and helpful to see. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like here in Seattle, we're all a little bit feeling Ah, I don't know if this is premature, but we feel a little bit smug about living here because our leadership is actually doing the right things and taking the right actions. And we hope that we can do it right here and that the rest of the country will follow. Well, we have elected Democrats running our city, county and state and Democrats believe in science and empiricism and uh, expertise and and relying on the advice of uh, people who know what the fuck they're talking about, as opposed to what we've been subjected to at Trump White House press conferences over the last week. And so, yeah, hopefully other states, other cities, other leaders, including fucking Republican elected officials, are going to take their cues from Jay Inslee, our governor, who seems to be doing everything. That snake. Yeah, that snake, Jay Inslee, as the president of the United States dubbed him, who seems to be doing what he can in a responsible way to protect all of us. That said, a lot of people are really scared right now. A lot of people are out of work. Uh, Basically, they closed down Las Vegas yesterday, which threw tens of thousands of people out of work. Michael Hobbs at HuffPo, freaking Savage Lovecast guest, has a piece up about how sex workers are being hit really hard uh, by this economically. Uh, And I'm scared. You're scared. We're all scared, but we're going to get through this. And we're going to do our best to get guests who can address the issues that are going to come up with intimacy during the time of plague. Uh, We've got a couple guests on the show today that uh, address that. I know something about the issues that come up. Yeah, you've been here before, haven't you? Intimacy in the time of plague. It was funny. I was saying to a friend that in the last two weeks felt like living 1980 to 1984 in two weeks that we went from, Oh yeah, there's this thing. Have you heard about this virus? Have you heard about some people getting this gay cancer to everybody terrified and locked in their homes alone? Uh, pretty quickly, just a week ago, uh, you know, I was still traveling. I was still out there. People were still going out. And it reminded me of that moment during the, you know, beginning stages of the HIV AIDS crisis where people said, Oh, you gotta be really careful. But people did nothing differently. Nobody's behaviors changed, even as everyone acknowledged that we were living in a moment when shit was going down. But people kept doing the same goddamn thing. 
And then there was this tipping point with HIV AIDS where suddenly the seriousness of the situation, the peril we were all in became clear to us and everyone's behavior changed seemingly overnight, you know, in, in memory overnight. And that happened in the last week. Really, the last week was 1980 to 1984 for those of us who lived through the, the, the AIDS crisis. And it's been the worst kind of deja vu. And it's that, that time is now. For, for those of you not in Seattle, I think that y'all are maybe playing catch up a little bit. I've noticed that just looking at my Facebook feed and talking to people in my life that don't live in Seattle. And uh, I'm sorry to say it, but y'all got to stop going to restaurants. Y'all got to stop going to concerts. Y'all got to, you got to start distancing yourselves right now. It's really important. And like, if you haven't yet educated yourself on the concept of flattening the curve, it's, you really need to read up on that and figure out what that means and start acting on it right now. <laughs> this is so stupid. This is my personal little pet peeve soapbox. We were looking out the window. Plague pet peeves, Nancy oh. and Dan. <laughs> so this, this woman was, was petting my cat. We saw her petting my cat outside of the window. And I ran out and I yelled at her, you guys, don't be petting people's pets right now. That's like shaking hands. What are you, a dummy? <laughs> You're going to get your coronavirus all over my cat and yeah. my cat all over your coronavirus and then send my cat back into my house to get all over me and my kids. Exactly. You and I have been physically distancing ourselves from the world the last few days. We've come together in the studio briefly, but we are maintaining a physical distance. Uh, what are your tips? I've only had a couple of days of this so far. Uh, I'm wondering what you guys are doing at your house uh, to pass the time and to stay sane. You know, we're doing all the usual things like my kid, my kids are, I've got two kids uh, and one of them is in elementary school. And so we've got like a little like chart of uh, activities that she needs to stick to every day. And she has vowed that she will bless her. Um, and, you know, we are now like allowing for one or two, like one on one getting together as long as they don't touch each other like play dates where they can get together because like for our mental health, we feel like that's really important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, no more getting together with groups larger than five for sure. Um, and then, um, you know, like we were watching a lot of movies. The CDC says you can gather in maybe groups of 50 or fewer, but luckily for us, we can't fit 50 people into our dining room. Um, we're reading a lot of books. We're hanging out in the living room. We're listening to a lot of musicals on vinyl which i haven't had time to do a lot lately but now that i'm at home 24 hours a day except to come in and record the show uh we're doing that yeah i've been buying books i'm hoarding books like toilet paper <laughs> hey it's a good time to learn a musical instrument yeah, and some books art of the deal maybe you could use as toilet paper <laughs> well those are our tips from the american epicenter read books physically distance yourself and if you're in part of the country where people are still going to concerts and shows in movie theaters, in gyms and restaurants. Do yourself and the people in your life who may be at greater risk a favor and stop doing those things now. Stay home. And if you need to pass the time, call your elected representatives, demand justice, demand access to medical care for all at all times, not just during a health crisis, and demand that we don't just bail out bankers this time that we bail out the people who are losing their jobs, we bail out people who may not be able to make rent or pay their mortgages in the next few months, that we bail out the people, not just the stockholders. Yeah, and keep calling us with your perverted questions. Yes, we're going to keep doing the show. Please keep your questions coming, your perverted questions, your wholesome questions, your wedding questions, although your wedding should be postponed indefinitely. We welcome your wedding questions in advance of your wedding. Because people need a distraction. People are going to be diverted and sometimes need something else to think about besides this pandemic. It was really important to us during the worst years of the AIDS epidemic that we still had our pleasures, that we still had joy, that we still had music and art and life. That said, at this moment, because coronavirus is much easier to contract, we need to enjoy those things siloed. We need to enjoy those things with the people that we're isolating ourselves with, the people that we're passing the time with. Uh, and podcasting and calling into shows like this, I think, is a good way of passing the time, of sharing stories, of staying connected. We really are. And this sounds trite. We really are all in this together. And my husband brought up something. You know the Spanish flu? That sucked. You know what happened after the Spanish flu? The roaring 20s. We're going to get out of this. This isn't forever. 
But wait a minute, what happened after the yeah, let's not Let's not fast forward from there. <laughs> Whatever you're doing at home to help pass the time and to stay sane, we're really honored that the Savage Lovecast is a part of that. And if this helps, if the show helps you in any way, we're thrilled to keep bringing it to you and we're going to keep bringing it to you. Yes, we are. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, like normal. And two frequent guests, two of our favorite guests, Dr. Debbie Herbenick and Dr. Jen Gunter join us to quickly talk about a couple of aspects of the pandemic. And coming up on the Magnum, Brian Earp, co-author of the new book, Love Drugs, The Chemical Future of Relationships, joins us to talk about gray marriages, about ecstasy, and about what we know now about MDMA. All that coming up on today's show. It's been nice to be in the same room with someone, Nancy, other than Terry. (laughs) Same here, baby. Hey, Dan, I am a cisgendered gay male, and I have a question about erogenous zones. My husband, he is hardwired just like right there at the nipple. You pinch it or tweak it, and it drives him crazy. Well, I'm not hardwired that way at all. In fact, it kind of hurts. But I am hardwired in a different place, and that's my hip bones. That's right. If someone grabs onto my hip bones or rubs on them, it's great. Uh, It goes straight to the cock. So there really is no problem about it. We've just never heard anyone else or come across anyone else with that erogenous zone. Have you heard about it before? Is it called something? Maybe you or your callers will shed a little light. Haven't heard of this before. This is the first I've heard of somebody specifically citing their hip bones. Of course, for a lot of people, the hips are an erogenous zone, very close to both the uh, bone bone, the hip bones are, and the butt zone, which is often bone, particularly in same-sex male relationships. So it doesn't seem incredible to me or that strange to me. It's not like hearing from someone who likes to have their eyeballs licked. And I have heard from people in the past who like to have their eyeballs licked. Happy to toss this out there. If there are any listeners out there who are similarly wired, whose hip bones are similarly wired, any hip bone stimulation goes straight to your junk Give us a call, share your story, 206-302-2064. But to you, caller, I would say don't give up on your nipples. There are a lot of people out there who early in life, men, I mean, a lot of men people, a lot of male-bodied people, who where the nipples aren't wired, where nipple stimulation doesn't really do much for them. Uh, but with time and attention and keeping the nipples in play, suddenly your nipples can become wired And it's an amazing feeling when someone touches your tits and it goes right to your dick. It's worth the effort. It's worth circling back and revisiting nipple stimulation every once in a while to see if your nipples don't eventually one day kick into gear as they do for many men later in life. A lot of men in their 20s and 30s, nips don't do anything for them. 30s, 40s up, nips do a lot for them. So don't give up on nips and don't be embarrassed about your hips. OMGYes.com is a website devoted to sexual pleasure. In partnership with Indiana University and Kinsey Institute researchers, OMG Yes asked tens of thousands of women, what was the one discovery you've made that really made your pleasure better? Then they found the patterns and those discoveries and those interviews, the physical techniques, psychological techniques, the ways of guiding partners, and they brought all that wisdom together on a single website, OMGYes.com poured it into videos, animation, data, and a whole lexicon of what feels good. What many don't know about OMG Yes is that it's not a subscription site. It's a one-time payment for a collection of content. It's like buying a book that you keep forever. And that one-time payment also funds their next wave of research on sexual pleasure. The OMG Yes team is currently partnering with researchers at IU and Yale, researching other important and understudied topics like men's sexual pleasure, trans and gender diverse pleasure, and ways trauma survivors and their partners reconnect with and through pleasure. You know, you would think because we live in our own bodies for so many years that we would all be experts about our own bodies. But many of us arrive in adulthood pretty ignorant about our own bodies, particularly women are denied a lot of information and empowerment about owning their own bodies, owning and centering their sexual pleasure. And what you'll find at OMG Yes is wisdom and insight people learning what works for their own bodies and sharing that with other people, sharing that information in ways that might help other people really pick the lock and and come to understand and then fully embrace their potential for experiencing sexual pleasure. It is an invaluable resource that can help make you the expert about your own body. 
that you need to and deserve to be. There's so much still to be discovered. Support the cause and get the resource at omgyes.com. You can also gift the resource that is omgyes.com by going to omgyes.com and clicking give as a gift. You can also get a discount by going to omgyes.com slash savage. Get a special discount just for our listeners. Again, that's omgyes.com slash savage. Joining me by phone, one of our favorite, favorite people, Dr. Jen Gunter, author of The Vagina Bible, a bestseller and New York Times columnist. Dr. Gunter has some experience with social distancing, which is what we're all being asked to do right now, and wrote a column about it for The New York Times. Hey, Dr. Gunter, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Dan? Uh, I'm good. Where are you distancing yourself socially at the moment? Uh, Well, I'm distancing myself uh, at home, uh, just really going out to get groceries, and uh, we're all trying to figure out what to do at the hospital about trying to do as many visits as possible, uh, you know, remotely by uh, um, phone conferencing and and things like that. So some people out there, myself included, have been freaking out a little bit at the prospect of having to isolate ourselves for the next few weeks or months. You did it for a year and a half. I did. I did. And, and And if I can do it, you can do it. And why did you do it? Why were you social distancing before social distancing was cool and mandatory? Yeah, so this was back in 2003, and I had a very complicated triplet pregnancy and delivered very early, and one of my sons passed away, and the other two were in the intensive care unit for about 11 weeks. And uh, when they were discharged, they both had severe lung disease and were on oxygen. And in addition, one of my sons, Oliver, has um, a really serious heart defect, and he had his first heart surgery when he was three pounds. And so my kids were uniquely vulnerable to getting infections, and Oliver especially. And I was told by every medical professional to stop that the most important thing for their health, for their for them to live, was to not catch infections. Even a cold could kill them. So the only way you can do that is by keeping away from other people. And so I basically did that for a year and a half. Any tips for people who are having to do this now? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, it's not going to be a year and a half. So that, you know, and I didn't actually think it was going to be a year and a half when I started, but when someone tells you that your kid could die, you're, that you, and you've already just seen one of your children die, you're pretty motivated. But I think that it's really important as a physician, you know, I know that that uh, these infections can be overwhelming, can kill people who are otherwise healthy, especially older people. And I'm starting to put myself in that category because I'm in my 50s. So I think that the tips are that you just want to minimize contact. Social distancing doesn't mean that you can never see another person. It means being really mindful about how you're interacting with people and who you're interacting with. So you need groceries to eat, uh, but you don't need to go to the movies. You know, So you think about what do you need versus what do you want and to try to just focus on your needs. You had a you describe a very strict regimen of hand washing and sanitizing things in your house to protect your children. You know, particularly if you had to leave the house uh, and return, or you had to go to the doctors with your kids. They needed medical care. They had medical appointments while you were social distancing uh, to protect them. Uh, did that become second nature? The hand washing, the sanitizing, uh, because right now I I constantly have to remind myself to do it. And, you know, the stakes are lower and more abstract because I'm not protecting anyone but, you know, some adults in my house. And it doesn't feel as consequential or dire as it must have felt for you. But at what point do, do these measures become habit? How long did that take? Well, I have to remember, because I was a physician, I was already pretty into hand sanitizing, you know, at work. So it was a very familiar, you know, hand washing and hand sanitizing was a very familiar concept to me. And when my kids were in the intensive care unit, you know, you had to clean yourself before touching them afterwards. And so it was pretty ingrained. But, you know, I got a lot of stares in the community. I mean, I would whip out my hand sanitizer. People would, you know, they see two little babies in a stroller. You've got oxygen tanks hanging out and they want to come up and talk to you. And I I don't know if this person's been around a kid in a daycare or not. So I'm just like, sorry, we don't talk to strangers. I mean, people must have thought I was you know, um, eccentric, (laughs) but, you know, I just walked away from people and I didn't think anything about, you know, people thinking it was rude because it was my children's health and, uh, you know, sitting in, you know, waiting rooms and hospitals for appointments, you know, felt very 
scary for me. And so, you know, we just sat in corners. We hand sanitized. I didn't touch anything. Uh, and, uh, you know, magazines and doctors' waiting rooms, nothing like that. And you know, this was all pre-social media. So there was no phone to play. You don't have your phone to play with. You didn't have other things to do. So, you know, I just... Uh, watch TV in the waiting room and, yeah, that, that was uh, gonna you know, be my next, That was going to be my next question. You know, we all have, we have social media now to distract us. Uh, I've heard someone suggest that we shouldn't call it social distancing because we can stay connected socially. It's physical distancing that we're doing. Uh, so that, you know, not to, to say social distancing sounds like you're isolating yourself, but, but you are going to be more isolated. What were your sort of non-hand washing strategies to stay sane while you were doing well, this for such a long time? Yeah, I, um, well, I, I, I read a lot, I have to say. And this was even before, you know, this was back in the day when your cell phone, you know, you worried about your minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, that you know, so it wasn't like I could just call like friends and a lot of my family and friends live in Canada and, and the United Kingdom. So there was no way to just kind of call people. I had to, you know, go to the landline <laughs> to call people. I don't even have a landline now. So, so I just, um, I think for me, I wasn't one step removed from the danger. And I think that's part of the problem for many of us, you know, who who aren't in super high-risk groups. We're sort of a step removed, so we don't maybe feel quite the, the same urgency. For me, it was, well, I have to hunker down. There was no choice. Mm-hmm. We had really great friends that um, that really accepted what we needed to do. So we had a friend who didn't have children. So for us, the highest risk was a cold from a kid who came over every Thursday night and brought food. So, and he was obsessive about wash, you know, washing his hands when he'd walk in. He didn't, you know, touch the kids. He came in and just provided us company and that I've never forgotten that kindness. He did that for, for 18 months. That is something that people can do to help themselves stay sane. If you're not in a high risk group and you know someone who is, who the danger of leaving the house to go get those groceries is much more, is greater than the danger for you to leave the house and go get groceries. Maybe you could help look after that person. Uh, I have to say, reading your essay, uh, I was delighted personally to see that show tunes were a help to you because they've been a help to me. <laughs> I did that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, um, so after I would bring my kids home from appointments, you know, cause what's the safest thing to do is drive around in your car. Nobody can talk to you. And, uh, because the boys were on oxygen, I had this elaborate mirror system rigged up in the car so I could look in the rear view mirror and see that their oxygen was in their nose. And I would drive around Denver singing, you know, Oklahoma and, you know, the Pirates of Penzance and, you know, all the old show tunes from my high school musicals. Well, I've been belting them out in the house, getting out the vinyl, listening to Mame and Chorus Line and Carousel, one of my most problematic faves. Uh, Dr. Jen Gunter, yeah, yeah, and and, and singing and driving everybody else in the house crazy. It's actually created some social distancing in my house because they're staying away from me while I sing Mame. Dr. Jen Gunter, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. The piece at the New York Times headlined, I practice social distancing before coronavirus. It works. Everyone should go read it. Thank you again for chatting with us today, Dr. Jen. Uh, Best to you and your family. Thank you, Dan. You too. Hey, have you got your website up yet? Didn't think so. You should use Squarespace already. They make it easy to create a beautiful website without having massive web design or coding skills. It's intuitive, simple to use, and genuinely the most efficient way to get a website up quickly. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. They have great-looking templates that you can just drop in, and it looks good right away. You can collaborate with other members of your group, do an email blast, connect with social media, pretty much anything you need for a website. Squarespace is way ahead of you, and they've thoughtfully included it. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. I have a kind of current events, time-sensitive question that I'm hoping you can help me with. I live in a big European city and have been kind of breathlessly following the news of the coronavirus for the last month. And I'm one of those weirdos who's been like quietly prepping and buying masks and bottled water and all that kind of thing because it just looks like it could be a total shit show. And I have a boyfriend, and we've been together for three years. We don't live together, and he thinks I'm crazy for doing all of this. 
anytime I've sort of brought up like, hey, you know, do you want to quarantine together? He's like, what? Quarantine? That's never going to happen. And he just thinks I'm a psycho for doing this. Um, so basically, we love each other to pieces. And if things were to go really sideways, I would want to be there to take care of him. But we don't live together. And I kind of feel like we would drive each other crazy if we were locked up in an apartment together, especially because I live in a studio apartment where everything... The question is, should I think of the health of the relationship first in saying, let's quarantine separately if things go south? Or is that insane? And since I have all of the prepping material and food and medicine, I should just invite him in. And if we break up afterwards, tough shit. Just a quick heads up before we get to my response. I got on the phone with this caller. The sound quality is a little bit off. Sorry about that. Hello? Hey, it's Dan Savage returning your call. Oh my God, Dan. Hi. (laughs) How's it going? Good. You sound like you're in good health still. I'm hopefully I'm having a tiny little fever, so I'm keeping an eye on it. Ah, so yeah. I think uh, I just listened to your call, and I think we want to retire the adjective uh, breathlessly when talking yeah. about what we're doing to prepare ourselves for this pandemic or in the, in the midst of this pandemic. Breathlessly, yeah, that word. Um, but I'm with you. I, I just uh, got home after a few weeks in Europe. Uh, I wasn't in Italy, but I was Italy adjacent. And the first thing I did was uh, take my husband out to the grocery store. We didn't hoard, but we stocked mm. up just in case. Yeah. Soup pasta ramen. Yeah, that's what you got to do. And he'd already ordered some masks online. So I, I think you're doing the right thing. And there's nothing about the foodstuffs that you've laid in or that we've laid in uh, that requires us to eat them in the next 10 days. Like, exactly. That's a, you know, if this is all just going to blow over, I could eat them in the next three months. Exactly. So, so I'm with you. That, that, that's not really your question. Your question is, do you let yeah. your boyfriend uh, die in the streets or do you invite him <laughs> into your studio apartment where you might murder him? Right. Now, just as an update, we did actually have like, uh, the talk moment because actually I'm still in Spain and of course there's a travel ban starting. So there was a moment where I was like, okay, uh, let's really hash this out. Do we do this together or should I even, you know, you know, I love you, but should I just, uh, run for the Hills and go back to the States? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he was, you know, he basically was of the mind of, yeah, uh, we will kill each other. <laughs> There's oh no gosh. way I can really, you know, and, and truly, because he said, well, you wouldn't want to spend day in and day out in my apartment either, because I selfishly like my apartment, and he, of course, likes his. Um, yeah, but that's how so, you feel right yeah. now, before this shit has yeah. really hit the fan. And a, a point totally. of clarification, our idiot president got on TV last week, announced a ban on all travel between Europe and the United States, forgot to mention all the countries that it didn't include, and forgot to mention that uh, Americans and, and citizens and residents and their families were still allowed to travel and goods were still allowed exactly. to be shipped back and forth, even though he specifically said that the ban applied to goods too. Uh, and we don't know if he was just, you know, stroking out in that moment or yeah. lying to try to sow panic, uh, as he xenophobically yeah. described this as a foreign virus. Such, yeah. you know, even in the darkest days of the HIV AIDS epidemic, no one described this HIV is a foreign virus. A virus is something that the world kicks out and everyone is at risk for, uh, not a conspiracy hatched by the communist government of China, as some people are suggesting online. So just to be clear, the travel ban isn't going to maroon you there in Spain if you do decide at some point to come home. You know, what I would point to, to, to reassure you both, you know, in extremists, And there's a terrific piece up at the New York Times right now about the reaction that people had in Anchorage after there was a 9.2 earthquake. And Mm -hmm. the government, it was in the, I think, early 60s, late 50s, the government at the time had sort of a research squad 
because they wanted to know how people would react to a nuclear attack on a city. And they expected that people would go feral and loot and rob and kill each other and, you know, break into each other's houses to steal food. And when the researchers got there, what they found was mass cooperation and people Hmm. banding together to help each other out and not hoarding the foods or, or resources and no mayhem or murder in the streets. People sort of like downshifted uh, away from conflict to cooperation. And that was a whole city, you know, with 100,000 people in it. I imagine that the two of you as a little universe unto yourselves, if you were marooned in your studio apartment, some part of your survival instinct would downshift to cooperation and conflict avoidance. You know, sometimes in a relationship, you run a conflict because you feel like conflict has to be resolved for the relationship to succeed. You know, we have to work through this. We have to talk through this, argue through this and come out on the other side. But sometimes, you know, the best deal thing you should do when there's a conflict, when you can't really handle it right now is to say, we're not going to deal with this right now. We're going to walk around it, you know? And so in addition to pointing to that article in the New York times about the Anchorage earthquake, I would also point to all these people who've been marooned for weeks, uh, a month or more Mm -hmm. on cruise ships yeah. With partners, some of them locked in windowless inside cabins for weeks. And there hasn't been a yes. single murder suicide. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think that uh, sort of the thing about that, that adaptation feeling, I did, you know, just in the 24 hours since we had the talk, where he kind of came to grips with the concept of I might leave. Mm-hmm. So the first thing was sort of like, do whatever you want. We can't possibly be quarantined together. You're crazy go find your family. It's fine. In the 24 hours since that talk, and especially since I haven't, I started to have some sort of symptoms. I don't know if it's that fingers crossed, knock on wood, but I, you know, do have a little bit of a fever. He's actually also downshifted to being much more there for me, much more nurturing and has kind of made little comments of like, see, we could sort of do this together. You know, I'll be here to take care of you. So I I think you're right that there is kind of like, there's talking about it and thinking about it. And then there's when shit hits the fan. Right. And what you're talking, what you're thinking about often when you talk about, you know, an extreme circumstance is how we interact just casually. And when there isn't this pressure, this other thing going on, uh, this, you know, this outside force that we're both, you know, linking arms and reacting to, you know, I know a lot of parents out there, Terry and I are parents um, and sometimes parents are fighting and in conflict and then their kid blows up or one other kid catches fire <laughs> in some spectacular yeah. way. And you just stop fighting. You just link arms and deal with the crisis that is yours right. to handle together. The other thing is you don't have to make this decision right now. They're not, right. There's no quarantining going on uh, in the part of Europe where you are. And speaking from an epicenter here in the United States, I would stay yeah. in the place with socialized medicine. Okay. <laughs> I, I would stay yeah. in the place with the socialist president who believes in science. Yeah. As opposed yeah, yeah. to this clown show, shit show that we're enduring here with our fucking idiot president, where there aren't, they yeah. don't want to test because they don't want to know the actual numbers of cases. And, exactly. You know. I'm tempted to get on a plane, fly to Spain, and join you in your apartment with all your foodstuffs, too, to get the fuck out of here. I have so many great snacks. I your podcast. I hope you have, like, a Netflix password, yours or someone else's, that you've swiped. I'm totally set up. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that you guys could get through this. And who knows? Maybe you'd be – have more perspective and a better handle on – conflict and you know sometimes until we confront a real crisis in our relationships the small conflicts that we have seem enormous they seem like the mountains when in reality they're the molehills yeah until we actually get over that molehill and see a real mountain and this is a real fucking mountain and it's going to put a lot of things in perspective for people and i feel like already that's kind of happened just sort of even realizing i always thought that i would always put my you know my mom and my grandmother and my my family back on dates first like without a uh, the slightest sign of trouble, I would totally just bolt. But I ended up just bawling my eyes out last night just at the thought of being separated for however long we'd be separated. And it kind of, I did have to have that corny moment of being like, oh my God, like I am realizing just how important you are to me because I have to, 
you know, we are in this crisis and I'm seeing things with a perspective that is much more, uh, you know, the priorities become very obvious and it has definitely like made me realize just how much I fucking love us. <laughs> One thing to bear in mind though, and this is the, my final thought for you, my final bit of advice. If you guys move in together into your studio apartment and get along and come through this, if there is a quarantine, if we're all locked up for months and months, uh, and it, you know, it works out. That doesn't mean you have to live together in the future. You know, there are some relationships that work because people keep their own apartments because people do have. Separate- oh, yeah, that's, uh, I've always said that the only reason why we've been together this long is that we both, you know, we're both lone wolves and we both have our own studio apartments and that's made it work for sure. That is the secret to the success of a lot of relationships. And then people think, Oh God, you know, we've lived in our own places for so long Obviously, if you live together, they move in together and it doesn't work and then they break up when actually they just need to move the fuck out again. They need to return totally. to what did work for them. So if you guys wind up in the studio apartment for months and months and it works, please don't take that as a signal that you have to live in that studio apartment together forever. No, <laughs> Thank you. Good luck. Hey there, Maya. It's a, it's a couple of days after we first spoke to you. And when we first got on the phone, Spain wasn't in lockdown and people weren't quarantined yet now spain is in lockdown people are quarantined and we wanted to call you back and ask your boyfriend is he your quarantine he is my quarantine he's actually here right now pretending not to be (laughs) uh so how are you guys doing how's it been the first few days locked up together you were concerned well i think that um so far so good on some level the fact that we kind of chose to do this i had a moment there where i was um kind of wondering if i should stay here or if i should try to get back to my family in the states and um you know we basically took a couple of days to sort of talk about it and think about it and stuff and um just realize that besides the public health risk that it could be of you know trying to travel at this time and i wasn't feeling too hot and we spent the first I don't know, 24, 48 hours together. And it's just been like, kind of like such a fun time. And so kind of like reassuring to be together. That's good to hear that you guys are getting along. Also good to hear that you didn't get on a plane and try to get home. I'm sure you saw the, saw the photos from Dallas and Chicago and JFK of just the shit show because there was no preparation for people coming home on some sorters uh, and people basically forced into waiting rooms for seven, eight hours, cheek by jowl. If you hadn't contracted the coronavirus in Europe before you got home, you very likely contracted it in line at O'Hare. So good choice. Good call to stay uh, put in Spain with your boyfriend. Glad to know you guys are getting along. We might give you a call back in a couple of weeks to see if we're all still locked <laughs> up. Do. Do. Um, so far, so good. Uh, and it has been kind of just sort of a little bit of feeling like, okay, let's do this. It's camping. We ate hot dogs. We're watching The Sopranos. It's like a whole thing. It's fun. Can I ask you a, a, a rude and personal question? Please. Are you guys having a lot of sex? Some people out there say that, you know, being isolated like this and holding up, uh, is making them horny. Some people say it's making them not at all horny, the opposite of horny, tanking libidos. Uh, which side of the line do you guys fall on? Uh, a little bit in the middle, but I would not say this is like, I, I do feel like there is some kind of weird, like crisis part of my brain that feels like it's always a little bit on. So like the impetus is much more on like comfort. Mm-hmm. I feel like we maybe have never been so affectionate with each other and like, loving each other up but it doesn't necessarily like it's not necessarily in a sexy way it's more like oh the world is ending but hold me (laughs) well i think that kind of intimacy is just as important it doesn't always have to be about smooshing genitals together thank you so much for getting back on the phone good luck to you and your boyfriend there in spain Uh, i hope you guys continue to enjoy your enforced time together all right thank you so much If you're looking for honest, modern basics, look no further than Everlane. Everlane makes sturdy, simple, good-looking clothes using all the finest materials without traditional markups. And Everlane wants you to know what you're paying for and why, so they tell you their real costs, and they are radically transparent about every step in their process, from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. 
No matter your style or preference, Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. And because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Essentials like their Cotton Crew t-shirt, which I am wearing right now, are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. They have a beautiful selection of 100% grade A cashmere. I love their premium Japanese denim, which I am also wearing right now. I'm a big fan of their jeans. I'm also a big fan of not going to stores and trying pants on and not going to stores and shopping. So I use Everlane to get jeans when I need jeans, and I kind of fell in love with their jeans. Their re-wool jackets are made from premium recycled wool and look amazing. Nancy is going through a leggings phase, and she says theirs are perfect. And I got to say, the male models on their site, also kind of hot. You can't order them off the site, but you can take a look at them at the site. Check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash savage. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash savage. Get some great looking clothes. Support the show by going to everlane.com slash savage. Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at-risk youth. I just found out some bad news, uh, so I'm sorry how I sound. Um, I was wondering what the appropriate amount of like screw-ups are for there to be in a relationship. I know you've said before that long-term relationships require forgiveness, and you're all but guaranteed um, to be betrayed and to go through heartbreak and you know, the successful ones are the ones that are able to still work through that. Um, I'm just curious, like, how often should you expect that and how many times? My uh, now husband um, cheated on me. And let's see, the first time anything like a weird happened was years and years ago. Um, we've been together for like 10 years. We've been married for like half that time. He, uh, he, it was on his email. I just happened to see it. He was like emailing one of those like Craigslist, like, you know, email me to date me women that send them pictures. I guess this was a long time ago. I confronted him and he had said that his coworker, um, had emailed this email address and the woman on the other side was going to go on a date with him, but he thought that it might be a scam. And so he asked my husband to email her too and to see if, you know, he was kind of like, so just like she was saying the same things to everybody, I guess. I don't know. I mean, he was probably lying, but, um, you know, I accepted it and moved on, moved on. The next time was, uh, he was on some random app, like chatting app, where you're like anonymous, and he was just like sexting um, all the time. Uh, this was a period of time that I was like super, super busy at work, and so he was doing that, I guess. I basically told him after that that, you know, this is not anything that I'll deal with ever again. Like, I, I refuse to do it. It's, it's not something that I want to deal with. And then I just found this out today. So I don't know. Like, is is this when you pull the plug? I, I just, I don't know what is appropriate. Like, at, at what point am I the idiot for forgiving him all the time? I can obviously hear how upset you are by what you've discovered. And my heart goes out to you. And I don't want to make this worse for you than it already is. But I'm afraid that what I have to say next may be painful for you to hear. This is who your husband is. Your husband is who he's always been throughout this relationship and it is unlikely to change. And so you're going to have, if this is unacceptable to you, if your husband sleeping with other people, flirting with other people, sexting with other people is unacceptable to you. It's if it's something that you can't adjust your expectations to if not allow for, turn a blind eye to, tolerate, put out of your mind, staying in this marriage is going to make you miserable. You are going to return to this place of heartbreak and pain. He is going to drag you to this place of heartbreak and pain again and again and again. He, he has already dragged you to this place again and again and again. And it sounds like it's just as painful now as it was 10 years ago and the pain is compounded by the humiliation of being lied to and then feeling like a fool for believing him. Your husband shouldn't have made a monogamous commitment that he couldn't keep. 
the culture pressures people into making monogamous commitments that sometimes they're aware they can't keep, but sometimes only discover over the course of the supposedly monogamous relationship that they entered into willingly that they are incapable of keeping. Your husband can't be faithful to you in the way you would like your partner to be faithful to you. I don't know what else your marriage is about. You say nothing else about your husband, whether he's a good and decent person, whether you guys have kids, whether you're, except for this conflict, a good team, whether you enjoy his company, whether you have similar goals in life. I don't know what else is on the other side of the scales. On one side of the scales, we have his obvious propensity for toward infidelity, his desire for outside sexual contact and, and, and outside sexual affirmation about his attractiveness, the swapping of sex with other people, and now the cheating. What's on the other side of the scales? Does it outweigh, does whatever pleasures and joy that this man bring into your life, does it outweigh the pain that the cheating and the negation the cheating represents brings into your life? If it does, there are people who stay in marriages where they are cheated on on an almost regular basis where they're, they've married someone who's a serial adulterer and choose to stay in those marriages and live with that pain and endure it when it flares up and police their partner to keep them from cheating on them as often as they might otherwise. And that requires a lot of effort to police someone in that way because they regard everything else on the other side of the scales as worth it. You have to ask yourself if everything else on the other side of the scale opposite the infidelity is worth it. If it is and you choose to stay, you're going to be in this place again and again and again. If that thought upsets you, terrifies you, if that's not something that you can live with, you can leave this. You can leave him for this reason. This is a reason that a lot of people end relationships, infidelities. Knowing what we know about long-term committed relationship, leaving this guy there's no guarantee that the next guy you're with won't also sex with somebody else, be attracted to other people. I would challenge you before you move on to someone else to ask yourself if your expectations are realistic. It is realistic to expect that someone who makes a monogamous commitment will endeavor to honor that monogamous commitment. It is not realistic to expect that the person that you're with for years or decades won't sometimes be attracted to other people. In our connected age where everybody has a phone in their pocket that makes not just looking at porn possible but interacting with others who may or may not be attracted to them possible, people will seek that kind of outside affirmation. People used to seek that in bars and at work and their wife or husband at home w was none the wiser that they were occasionally flirting with a coworker or flirting with somebody harmlessly in a bar. Cheating isn't harmless flirting, of course, and it can be very emotionally damaging for the person who's made the monogamous commitment who can honor it to be cheated on. But ask yourself before you partner with somebody else, if you indeed do leave this guy, what can you endure? Like if finding out that your partner has you know, gone on a webcam or, you know, swapped a couple of sex with somebody that they were attracted to that they never have any intention of touching physically. Is that something that you could endure and live with? Because the odds that that'll happen in your future relationships, subsequent relationships these days are pretty high. So if this man brings more pain into your life than joy, leave him. If this is something that you can't abide or tolerate, including the being lied to about it, which is galling and humiliating, leave him. More joy? Maybe stay. Maybe get into couples counseling. But he is who he is, and this is unlikely to change. The very least, he will get you will catch him in the future, sexting with somebody, flirting with somebody, fantasizing about being with somebody else, basically, with the enhancements of somebody else out there on the other end of the phone saying they would like to fuck him. And if you can't handle that, go. But you need to have a realistic conversation with your future partners about what you can and can't endure, what you can and can't handle. And I think the odds that you might wind up with somebody else who occasionally flirts with other people 
are pretty high. I would ask you if you have not yourself occasionally flirted with other people, perhaps not in a way that was as entangling as your husband's flirtations with other people, short of his infidelities with other people have been. But almost everyone does this to some limited extent. And so don't leave expecting that you'll never be in this position ever again. Because odds are you will. But don't stay. If the only way you'll be happy staying is if your husband magically becomes someone he's proven to you again and again, he is not. Hey, Dan. Uh, straight male calling from Canada. Uh, got a bit of a problem here. Uh, I was seeing this woman for, uh, uh, for about two years, and uh, we had a, an okay relationship. I mean, there was a lot of like, sort of passion to it, but she, it turned abusive. Uh, she started hitting me. Uh, screaming at me for the smallest things, uh, uh, eventually sort of smashing my car windshield at one point, um, throwing things around the house, and uh, she cheated on me twice. So yeah, it was bad. We uh, we broke up. I broke up with her. And then I, I started to try to move on with my life. Started seeing this new uh, person who's really, really great. Uh, we get along so well. We never fight. Uh, she's just really kind, and I'm really happy to kind of get out of a bad relationship and get into a new one. My problem is that... Uh, my ex does not approve of this person. Uh, I wasn't going to tell her about it. I tried to just cut ties in general, but one of her friends told her that uh, I'd been seeing this new person, and uh, she blew up. She started calling and texting me constantly and then started threatening to stalk us uh, and uh, try to make sure we weren't going to see each other. Originally, I just kind of tried to lie about it and, and cover my tracks after that happened, because I'm really happy in this new relationship, but um, now she's starting to threaten to kill herself if she finds out, and uh, she she is persistent and threatening to stalk us, and I, I just don't know that I can keep up, uh, even though this is a really great relationship, I don't know if I can keep it up because of all of this, and I don't want to let this win. She was kind of terrible to me, the whole relationship. Uh, but I just, I would be devastated if you were to do something. I, I just kind of don't know what to do anymore. And I'd really appreciate your advice. Document the stalking threats. Save those texts. Save those emails. Talk to a lawyer. Spend a couple of hundred bucks. Send her a cease and desist letter. Threaten to get a restraining order against her. And then block her fucking numbers and call her fucking bluff. She is not going to off herself if you see this other woman. She is just trying to use that threat as a veto to control you. And you are allowing her to control you with that threat to harm herself. It is an idle threat. And God rip out my tongue for what I'm about to say next. If it isn't an idle threat, well, then problem solved, I guess. But I don't think that she is going to harm herself. This is a tool. It is a weapon that she is using against you. You need to cut her out of your life. Emphatically, you are engaging with an abusive romantic partner. You are allowing her to get inside your head. You are allowing her to have some space and claim and purchase on your time and your attention. And you need to cut her off and cut her out. And once she sees that she is cut off and cut out, she is highly likely to go the fuck away and seek out some other person that she can manipulate and terrorize and control once she understands that you are not that person and you will avail yourself of the legal remedies that are available to you and you will avail yourself of the legal remedies at hand, letters from lawyers, restraining orders, blocking her ass on all social media platforms, blocking her number, changing yours if you must. And cutting her out of your life, root and fucking branch. And also cutting out of your life any mutual friends who run to her with information about who you're dating. You don't need that person in your life either. But you're going to have to call your bluff. Listen, back up, back up this show and listen to your question. You've met someone that you really like, that you have great sex with, you have a great rapport with, and a low-conflict relationship with, or so far a no-conflict relationship, no fights at all. And you are thinking about walking away from that person, dumping that person, because you have an angry ex who's sending you text messages threatening to harm herself? No. No, 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 no. You can't tolerate that. You cannot put up with that. And just as an, an addendum, there are a lot of women out there with these kinds of exes, with exes like your ex, who have been stalked, who have been physically assaulted, who have been murdered 
by their angry, stalking, controlling exes. You rarely hear stories about women engaging in this kind of behavior. There are crazy bitches out there. There are toxic women out there who stalk their exes, who harass their exes, but very rarely are they physically violent. So you have less to worry about than a woman in your shoes might. And so I would advise you not to hesitate to push back hard and cut her off immediately and get that letter off and get that restraining order if things escalate. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read your tweets. I leave you this tweets for the dude on episode 697 of the Savage Lovecast who wants to have more sex with his wife. Take a day and clean the entire house. I am not kidding. New moms are often exhausted trying to keep up with everything. The sexiest thing you can do is to take things off her plate. Trevor tweets, for your information, Savage Lovecast listeners, if you decide to buy a Savage Lovecast sponsored bidet, thanks to this toilet paper shortage, and you're looking it up in public, make sure you visit hellotushy.com and not just tushy.com. Everyone at the bar I'm at just got an eyeful. And finally, Crystal Joe Guerrero tweets, I am alone in a print shop listening to the Savage Lovecast and screaming at no one about this 20-year-old in episode 698 and her lame boyfriend. Get out, girl. You are missing out. Enjoy your 20s. You will regret it if you stay with this guy. All right. If you want me to read one of your tweets on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hey, this is in response to the woman who called in because she's um, in an open relationship and the guy she's dating is also in one, but his is a don't ask, don't tell, and he seems to be ashamed to be seen with her or wants to keep her hidden. Dan, you're being awfully generous by assuming that this guy doesn't want people to think he's having an affair. I think he's flat out having an affair. Um, if I want to go out with someone and he tells me he's in a don't ask, don't tell. I kind of want at least one time to get some clearance from his primary partner or his spouse to make sure that he's telling me the truth. Because it's all too easy for somebody to, who wants to get into someone else's pants to just say, oh, yeah, I'm in an open relationship. But it's don't ask, don't tell. So you can't mention it. You can't call me at home. I can't be seen with you in public. And that way, the other person doesn't feel like they are cheating. Uh, you're being far nicer to this man than I would be. I would ask her to do a little bit more research, and she might have to DTMFA. I wanted to comment on the calls concerning age discordant relationships. When I was 20, I was with someone 45 for many years. When I was 45, I was with someone 23. I've looked at life from both sides now, and I know that it's better and easier for the younger person in the relationship. The younger person is with someone interesting and experienced. The sex is better for the younger person because they have the stamina, but the older one has the moves. Now that I'm older, I know that if you're going to be with someone significantly younger, you must let them have their freedom. But the younger one must understand that it's not an honor for an older person to be with them. Finding somebody younger is not the goal. It may, in fact, be a compromise. I'm in my late 50s, and I get no attention from men my own age. The pool is limited. Men of my generation were young during the height of the AIDS crisis. Many, many are dead. Since the advent of marriage equality, Many of those remaining are married, and many of those who aren't may just be awful people. The extra weird part is the attention that I do get is almost always from very good-looking guys in their 20s. This is flattering, but awkward and embarrassing. I know that it can't be long-term, and I'm not looking to be a stage on which someone can play out their daddy scenes. I've inadvertently found myself in that weird situation in the past, and it's left me feeling used and a little humiliated. The younger man with the older girlfriend should understand that while she expresses a fear that she's robbing him of the experiences of his youth, she may not be letting him know that there are things she can't get from a younger man, like the mutuality she might want to share with someone of her own generation, someone who's in the same place as she, someone who can understand her in that way. He says that he's into older women, but he needs to understand she may experience this less as a compliment than a fetish. When a young man says to me, it's okay, I'm into older guys, my response is, me too. A generationally younger man isn't much of a consolation in my loneliness. The golden apple would be a guy my own age who I found sexy and deep and beautiful and hungry for the same connection that I crave. Hi, Dan. Calling about episode 698, the young woman invited to a wedding where all the guests were at required to come in costume. Uh, you told her she didn't have to go to the wedding, which is completely true. I'd like to offer her another couple of options. One is that she contact the happy couple and say cheerfully, 
I'm sorry, that option doesn't work for me. Would you like me to come wearing my own clothes? And if they say, oh, no, she should say, fine, I'd be happy to wear a costume. You provide it and pay for it, and I'll approve of it. These are two ways that I'd be happy to come to your wedding. She should do this very cheerfully. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. You can also use the Voice Memo app on your smartphone to record your question. It's better sound quality, so we encourage you to do that and email us that recording at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. The micro edition of the Savage Lovecast is free every week, but for people who need more Savage Lovecast in your lives, you can subscribe to the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast at savagelovecast.com. More calls, more questions, more guests, more show, no ads, savagelovecast.com. And you can also gift a subscription to Savage Lovecast at savagelovecast.com. And if you've been on the fence, getting a Magnum subscription or gifting one now would really help us out and help keep the show coming. Thank you very much for to everyone who's already follow me on twitter at fake dan savage follow dr jen gunter on twitter at dr jen gunter follow dr debbie herbenick on twitter at debbie herbenick and follow brian Earp on twitter at brian david the savage love cast is produced every week by nancy hartunian and me and nancy and the tech savvy at risk youth and the callers and the commenters and the tweeters we will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling.